0: This has happened twice now. Um, I, I've, I've invited folks to, to sit. And, uh, and some of you, out of conviction of your heart, have continued to stand. I want you to hear this. I respect that. I get that. You worship the Lord as the Lord leads you. That is something that, that the, the, the position of your body should reflect the position of your heart. N- now, if you need to stand... In, in worship to, to proclaim that the Word of God is valid, that it's, that it's uh, something that we should value, that's great. If you can sit in your pew and, and say that the Word of God is valuable uh, in your life, then that's great too. Whether you stand or whether you sit, do it all to the glory of God. Amen? Amen. The Word of God is important. It is There was a newspaper that did a survey of biblical literacy. They were asking people how much they knew about the Bible. And they asked what Noah's wife was named. And the answer that somebody gave was, Noah's wife was Joan of Arc. When asked what the seventh commandment was, somebody wrote, Thou shalt not admit adultery. Now, that one will get you in trouble, okay? I'm just saying. When asked what the epistles were, one answer was, the epistles are the wives of the apostles. Another answer went like this. A Christian should have only one wife. This is called monotony. Another answer went like this. Lot's wife was a pillar of salt by day and a ball of fire by night. (laughs) Yeah, it's important to know God's word. It is important to know God's word. I want to go back to the scripture. It says, in the beginning was the word. And the word was with God. And the word was God. The word became flesh and made his dwelling among us we have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. In a day when truth seems relative and the need for grace is being explained away by people who ought to know better, it's really important that we get a right picture of who Jesus is. I was called to ministry in 1985 and part of my preparation for that was a leading by God to take a job at a nursing home. What I did not know is that it would not only benefit me spiritually, but it would also be the way that he fed me over the next few years. When I moved to Tulsa, Oklahoma, it was right after the oil bust, and jobs were really hard to come by. I got a job at an agency that would rent me out to hospitals, psychiatric facilities, and private homes. And it was during this time that I came to understand just how religious Tulsa was. In the psych facility, I met a lot of interesting people. Some of them were way more passionate about their faith than anyone I'd ever met. And a lot of them loved this one preacher. And he would come on TV on Sunday morning, and he would sit in a chair. And in one hand, he'd have a brandy. In another hand, he'd have a cigar. And every other word would be what I would consider profanity. And he was on TV. Many of the people I'm talking about were in that place because of their faith. And I came to understand that what we believe matters. What was the problem? How could people who seemed to be so devoted, to be such devoted believers, how in the world could they end up with such fouled up beliefs? There were two basic reasons. One, Many times they accepted as the basis for truth and knowledge their own subjective experience. And partial truth rather than the whole counsel of God as written in the Word of God. Second, stemming from that wrong foundation, they develop faulty views of who Jesus Christ was. Without the objective truth of the written Word of God, we cannot develop a correct view of who Jesus truly is. At best, we'll come up with our own subjective preferences. But they will not be based on the eyewitness testimony of the apostles and the witness of God in Scripture. And this passage, oh man, this passage is incredible. God calls Jesus the Word of God. He said the Word was God. Why would Jesus be called the Word of God? After Adam and Eve sinned, there was separation between God and mankind. To the point that in Exodus thirty-three twenty, 20, God told Moses, he said, you cannot see my face, for no man may see me and live. God was untouchable, and it was necessary to provide some kind of link between the Lord and his earthly creation. The link was the word. Now, in the Aramaic, the, the word for word is called memra. In the Greek, it's logos. In the Hebrew, it's mare. But they all mean to say. And this root is used throughout the, the, the account of creation to say, when God said, it came into being. In Jewish tradition, the word memra occurs hundreds of times in the Aramaic translations and paraphrases of the Hebrew scriptures that were read in the synagogues before, during, and after the time of Jesus. So let me, let me break that down. In rabbinic tradition, there was, a, there was an Aramaic translation of the Bible it was the translation of the Bible that they were preaching from just before Jesus, during Jesus, and after Jesus. Okay? It's, they were the, it was called the Targum. All right. According to Messianic Jewish scholar Michael, Dr. Michael Brown, author of Answering Jewish Objections to Jesus, Memra, the word, is present in many, many passages. And some of them are. And I want you to hear this. Genesis 28. Verses 20 through 21. This is Jacob. Instead of vowing that the Lord would be his God, Jacob vows that the word of the Lord would be his God. I don't know about you, but that gives me chills. In Genesis 9:12, instead of a covenant between God and Noah, in the Aramaic, it's a covenant is made between God's word and Noah. In places like Exodus 20, verse 1, the word speaks of itself. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. In Deuteronomy 4, 7, it describes the word as sitting on his throne and receiving the prayers of the people. So this is what was being preached in Jesus' day. This is what was being preached in the synagogues. So when John calls Jesus the word of God, the Jewish people knew exactly what he was saying, that that Jesus was God. That Jesus is not only God, but Jesus is the way that God interacts with fallen mankind. Now back to the people I met in Tulsa. They knew Jesus, but many times he was a Jesus in one passage or in one story. And they fabricated a persona of him based on one aspect of his character. And as a result, they had not experienced the freedom that the scriptures promise. I saw this and I realized that I had taken for granted my South Georgia Sunday School lesson, my Bible study that happened at Buddy and Joanne Bloodworth's house, the little old lady down the street that used to talk to me about Jesus when I cut her yard. I realized I had taken for granted the Gideons who came around and passed out scriptures. I had taken for granted all those things. I had grown up hearing truth and grace. Now, let me say this. I had grown up hearing truth and grace, not one or the other, not truth or grace. I had grown up hearing both truth and grace, and I had no idea how important that this was. John said, We've seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. The Word of God is important all through Scripture. 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 reads like this. All scripture is inspired by God. It's useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness, so that everyone who belongs to God may be proficient, equipped for every good work. Do you see truth in that? The word inspired there comes from the Greek word to breathe out. Some translation says that the word of God or or the scripture is God breathed. And I know that some of you are here, and and you would call into question the origins of Scripture. And you'd say, oh, that's Paul, and we shouldn't really take him that seriously. But would you believe the words of Jesus? Jesus is speaking to the Jewish leaders in John 5, verse 39 through 40. And he says, you studied the Scriptures diligently because you think that in them you have eternal life. These are the very Scriptures that testify about me. Yet you refuse to come to me to have life. In fact, Peter viewed Paul's writings as scripture. 2 Peter 3, 15 and 16 reads like this. Bear in mind that our Lord's patience means salvation, just as our dear brother Paul also wrote you with the wisdom that God gave him. Not only that, Paul considered Luke scripture. Paul quoted from the Old Testament and Luke all in the same breath in in 1 Timothy 5, 18, which means that he probably considered them equally as important. For the scripture says, you shall not muzzle the ox when it treads out the grain. And then the second part of it says, the laborers deserve his wages. The second quote's not found anywhere in the Old Testament. And the Greek phrase that Paul uses matches exactly what Luke said. Now Luke talks about scripture when he talks about the formation of the church in Acts. He says, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teachings, and to fellowship, and to the breaking of bread. This, this is all great academics, and some of you may find it provoking, but why, why would this be important? What, what, what does this have to do with you and me? The truth of the matter is, is it's important because Scripture has life in it. Because in Scripture there's life. Jesus said it like this in Matthew 4 verse 4. He said, it is written, one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes out of the mouth of God. So how does that happen? And if you'll indulge me for just a second to read a long passage, I want you to see how this passage echoes the theme of truth and grace. Jesus, it comes as truth and grace. I want you to hear this. Hebrews 12 2 reads like this. Indeed, the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing until it divides soul from spirit, joint from marrow. It's able to judge the thoughts and intentions of the heart. And before him, no creature is hidden, but all are naked and laid bare to the eyes of the one whom we must render an account. And going on to verse 14, not skipping anything. Since then, we have such a great high priest who has passed through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God. Let us hold fast our confession. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who is in every respect tested, yet is without sin. Let us therefore approach the throne of of grace with boldness, so that we may receive mercy and find grace in a time of need. Do you see Jesus there? Truth and grace. I wish I could tell you the number of times that Scripture, as it revealed the heart of God, has saved my life, lifted my head, encouraged me, directed me, kept me from danger, showed me my foolishness, or sustained me in times of impossibility. It seems like my whole life, and even right now, even as I speak, I'm leaning on the Word of God. When I was angry with him for the death of my friends, it was John 10.10. 10. Now, these are scriptures that don't come from a book. They don't come from uh, a list that anybody has given me. These are scriptures that, that, has, that God has revealed to me in times of my life where I was in a place where death was happening. And when I mean death, I don't necessarily mean a physical death. But I'm talking, you know what I'm talking about, those hard times, those rough times when you can't see the light. When I was angry with him for the death of my friends, John 10.10 read like this, The thief comes only to to kill, steal, and destroy, but I came that they may have life and have it more abundantly. When I couldn't conquer sin, 2 Corinthians 12.9 reads like this, But he said to me, My grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness, so that Christ's power may rest on me. When I felt like there were powerful people who were wanting to harm me, Psalm 23 read like this, You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. When I felt like quitting, Galatians 6, 9 read, Let us not become weary in well-doing, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. When I was cocky and more bold in jay than in Jesus, Proverbs 16, 18 said, Pride goes before a fall. And there's another scripture in, in Proverbs that says, There's a way that seems right to a man, but the end thereof is death. When I was trying to find the reason that I wasn't trusting God into action, Romans 12:1 said it like this. Therefore, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living and holy sacrifice, pleasing to God. This is your true and proper act of worship. And this morning, I visited a Sunday school class, and they were studying the book of Habakkuk. And uh, they asked me what I knew about Habakkuk. And at the end of Habakkuk, there's a scripture that says, though the fig tree doesn't bud... No grapes on the vine, the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no fruit. Though there are no sheep in the pen and no cattle in the stall, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will rejoice in the Lord because he makes my feet like hinds feet. He makes me to walk on high places. Now, some of you are going, how does he know all that? And I'm going to tell you how I know that because it was a time when the fig tree wasn't budding, when there were no sheep in the field, when the grapes weren't there, and I was absolutely at a place where I, my hope was nearly lost. And the Word of God sustained me. But you might say to me, I read the Bible, but I don't get anything from it. Boy, do I understand that. I do. In 1985... I was on a SALT team, it was a team out of the Wesley Foundation, and I was on that team with four people that were much more spiritual than me. Uh, they mistook my excitement for uh, knowledge and maturity and allowed me to be on the team, but, but everybody on the team knew the Lord a lot better than I did. I remember one day we were at a house, because we were traveling all over the state and we were, we were rooming in, this house, in, in houses that, you know, at the churches that we visited. And we were at a house, and one of the people said, hey, listen, we're going to spend some time with God, and we're going to get a word from him and see what God would would say to us. And I thought, you know, that's good. I could do that. I I, I do quiet times. So we all got our Bibles, and we all went to our rooms. Fifteen minutes passed. I'm waiting to hear something. Twenty minutes passed. Everybody's still in their rooms. Thirty minutes passed. Everybody's still in the room. An hour passes. Everybody's still in the room. Two hours pass, and everybody comes out. And I'm sitting there trying hard not to be asleep. (laughs) And they begin to share from their hearts things that the Lord has shown them. And they got to me and I was "I, I, 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 I didn't know what to say. And I remember going to one of them and saying, I'm reading the same Bible you are. What's the difference? You've gotten all this wonderful word from God and, and, and God has spoken into your heart and, and you've, it's added to you and I can see it. I hear it. I hear the excitement in your voice. I hear the life in you. What's my problem? And he said, he said Jay, the word is living and active. It is. It'll work on you. But it also comes with the Holy Spirit. And he said, the Holy Spirit was given to us by God, to lead us and guide us in all truth. He said, so the the next time you sit down with your Bible, I want you to do this. Just pray and ask the Holy Spirit to teach you what he'd have you to know. The Bible I carried with me that summer is this Bible right here. It looks this way partially because it was a teenager carrying a Bible. But I will tell you, That after I began to pray and ask the Holy Spirit to teach me, then this word became alive. This word is, is, you heard me quote scripture? It was here that God met me and taught me that scripture. It it was not just an an academic exercise. It was a way that God was helping me live. It was a way that God was sustaining me. It was the way that God saved my life. It was the way that God propped me up. It was the way that God convicted me and, and told me I was doing wrong. It's the way God breathed life into me was through his word. I want to leave you with this other story. Jesus had just gotten finished preaching to the 5,000. He had just gotten finished feeding them. He had a church of 5,000. He was a preacher and had a church of 5,000. That's pretty good even by today's standards. And then he shared this one little message. It's found in John 6. And Jesus said to them, Verily, truly I tell you, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you will have no life in you. Skipping down to verse 61. It says, Aware that his disciples were grumbling about this, Jesus said to them, Does this offend you? From this time, many of his disciples turned back. And no longer followed him. Now how many are we talking about turned back? Well I think the next passage tells us. In 67 it says. You do not want to leave too do you? Jesus asked the twelve. So he had grown the church from 5,000 to 12. With this one message. But listen to Simon Peter's answer. Simon Peter answered. Lord to whom shall we go? You have the words. Of eternal life. We're about to do something that we've done for several Sundays now. We're about to take communion. We've done it so often that some of you have found it getting kind of tedious. We're doing communion again? Let me tell you something. I believe that there's something mystical about communion. I believe that God meets us in communion. And I believe that, that it's a means of grace and in, in, in a way that God reveals himself. But I also believe that it is a symbol. And Jesus said, do this as often as you drink it or eat it in remembrance of me. And I think what God was saying is, feed on me. He wants you to feed on him. And he says, if you don't feed on me, you will have no life in you. You ever been to a dead church? God save us from that when we start to dismiss Scripture, when we start to turn away from Scripture and and look to other things, we have to be careful because there's life in Scripture. There's life in Scripture. Jesus said, feed on me. Peter said that he had the words of eternal life. Amen.